great to have you back with us at church today. Uh, following straight on from last week in our series in Romans, uh, chapter one last week, we saw that the gospel is the power that saves us. That's what we learned last week. The gospel is the power that saves us. You know, there are no excuses for anyone because God has revealed himself in creation to everyone. And so no one has the excuse that they didn't know. However, sin does strange things within us human beings. We rejected the truth of God and have been given over to, to sinful ways by God. So what power is there that can save people from sin? What's the power of the gospel? And so, so we are, 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 were encouraged last week to pray for our friends who don't yet know Jesus, that they would have an encounter with Jesus. And, and we're encouraged to share Jesus with them. Let the light of the gospel shine through us with words if we really have to. This week, we continue the book of Romans with the first 11 verses of chapter 2 as we look at the gospel of peace. And, and as Paul continues writing his letter, he picks back up on the theme of, of not having excuses. Although this time, Paul's focus turns to the Christians and in particular, the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome not unbelievers. And he says, Romans 2, 1 to 2, judging others is foolish. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Judging other people seems to be getting baked into us right now. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard people making comment about doing the right thing or complaining about people who are, who are doing the wrong thing. It seems that grace and compassion have been replaced with judgment because of fear, primarily stoked by the media. And so when we live in this judgmental world, it's incredibly hard to go against the tide of culture, but it is something that we must do. We must push back on making judgments on others. You know, I, I know that I can, can be a bit guilty here too. I don't approve of all of the strategies being employed and have been a bit critical of our leaders and those who might support him. Um, so, so I've had to repent of that and ask of God's forgiveness in the judgments that I've made. And I see this, this very verse playing out so clearly for me right now. I struggle with this myself. Now, I wouldn't say um, necessarily that what I've been doing could be identified as sinful and I might be splitting hairs there, but it really does give a clear example of how easy it is in this climate to make judgments of others, which spills over, of course, from, from disagreement. 
And if it's that easy to fall into judging others because of their response to this whole COVID situation, as one example, do we just as easily fall into judging others because of their response to God and sin? You see, in this passage, God does not condemn them merely because they judged others, but because they practiced the same sins they condemned in others. All people are without excuse because all, without exception, have sinned against God. Paul seems to be following Jesus' teaching on how deep sin goes when he unpacked Matthew 5 to 7, that evil desires constitute sin as well as evil actions. Judging others is foolish. You know, we as followers of Jesus are not superior to unbelievers. We are not superior because we have been in those same shoes. We have committed those very same sins. But by the grace of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been saved. In verse 2, we can clearly see that the standards that God judges us by, we see that, that he judges righteously. And if we think we can judge others by our standards, well, here's a sad reality for us. God does the same. God judges us by his standards. And he judges based on what really exists, not what merely appears to be. For example, we might think that because our immoral thoughts are not observable, we're free of guilt. But God, he looks at the heart. Verse three, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We cannot think that we will escape God's judgment, even though we have committed the same sins as Paul listed in chapter one, because we didn't actually commit them. We just thought about it. That's not how it works. We should consider ourselves sinners who are subject to God's judgment because we too have sinned against God in our hearts and in our thoughts rather than acting like judges of the outwardly immoral. You know, those who follow through on the thoughts and act upon them. Being saved by the power of the gospel doesn't give us a free pass to do whatever we want. Being saved by the power of the gospel is what should lead us to repentance. We're not blameless. God is giving us time to repent. That's how his kindness works for us. He doesn't just kill us as soon as we sin and and condemn us straight away, which, which is what we deserve. God lovingly and graciously gives us time to repent. So what happens when instead of repenting of our sin, we harden our heart toward God and continue in our sin? Well, verse five tells us that we are storing up wrath. 
a soft and repentant heart is needed to avert God's wrath on the day of wrath, the final judgment. Such repentance would express itself in trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We can see by what is written in many of his letters that, that Paul disagrees with much of the Jewish teaching of his day. In this example here, the belief held by the Jews was that they were not storing up wrath, but in fact, they were in good standing with God through their covenant relationship. And so they did not need to meet God's standard of perfect obedience. They just needed the intention to obey God. You know, and for some of us, we might be also tempted to think that we're in a right standing with God because we've been saved by the power of the gospel. So we too can continue in life and, and do what we want with an intention to honour God you know, later or, or maybe just generally. Yet we would be foolish to think that our intentions were enough to avert God's wrath, just like the Jews Paul was speaking to. Each day that the self-righteous person persists in his self-righteousness, God adds more guilt to his record. God will judge him one day. Only a soft and repentant heart will avert God's wrath. So it's really clear from these first few verses that judging other people is foolish because we've done the same things wrong as the people we're judging, if not by action, at least in our thinking. So being the judge, that's not our role. God is the judge. And, and he is a righteous judge. Reading from verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God will deal with what every person really did. God will not deal with what we intended or hoped or wanted to do. No amount of good intentions will save us from God's wrath and his judgment. For those who honour God by living in obedience to his word will be given glory and honour and immortality. We will be given the gift of eternal life for all our good deeds will testify to our saving faith in Jesus Christ. But on the flip side of that same coin is that for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. God is a righteous judge. He will treat everyone even-handedly. There is equal justice for all in God's court. He doesn't show anyone partiality. God will judge us justly as he is righteous. Now imagine you're in court. You're guilty of a crime. Let's say you've stolen a car and you're guilty. Like the evidence is there. There's no question. 
And the judge asks you if you have anything to say before he passes a sentence. And you say, well, judge, I'm going to ask if you'll just forgive me. Let me go. If he's a good judge, is he going to let you go? I don't think so. No, if he did, he'd be a bad judge. And God is good and, and he is a good judge. He is just and he's righteous. And so he will make sure that we receive the punishment we deserve for our crimes, for our sin, as this passage says. There will be wrath and there'll be fury and tribulation and distress. Those are the just punishments for the evil that we commit against God. But there is good news. That good news has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ who died in our place and took the penalty of our sin on himself because he loves us. So back to being in court, you're guilty, right? The sentence is handed down and you must pay $50,000 or go to prison. The judge says, can you pay the fine? Can you pay the $50,000? Man, you can't pay that. You don't have that kind of money. So you're going to have to go to prison. And all of a sudden, somebody who you don't even know comes in and pays your fine. They give up everything they have to pay your fine because you're their friend and they love you. See, that is what... God did for us. He became a man and died on the cross, taking our punishment. We broke the law and Jesus paid our penalty with his life. So the good, just and righteous judge will bring wrath to those who do evil, but to those who obey the truth, we will be given eternal life because our penalty has been paid by the blood of Jesus. Now you might think from this passage that, that Paul is getting pretty close to a salvation based upon works. But when we look at this in context, in context with chapter one, it's really clear that the gospel is the power that saves us. It is not works. But as saved people, we should not continue to sin against God. Our right response to God and to his truth is to honour and obey him out of love because we have experienced his love poured out to us in Jesus, the content of the gospel. And this gospel, it is the gospel of peace. Read again from verse 10. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. Jew first, also the Greek, for God chose no partiality. Glory is what we get when we enter heaven. Honour is our reward for good works. And peace is the result of our salvation. Peace is what God brings to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, before that, we were enemies of God. Our sin made us an enemy of God. Yet the gospel brings peace. The gospel restores us to a right standing with God. The gospel casts our sin upon Jesus who pays the full cost for us out of love and replaces God's wrath instead of with glory, honour and peace. 
Franklin Roosevelt once said, Peace can be made and kept only by the united determination of free and peace-loving peoples who are willing to work together, willing to help one another, willing to respect and tolerate and try to understand one another's opinions and feelings. And I love the sentiment of those words, but he was wrong. The peace he was talking about will never be achievable. There will never be peace in this world. There will always be strife, torment, fear, division, pain, hurt and suffering. Those will always remain because there is sin in this world. But we have been rescued from that. And our destiny, when we believe upon Jesus, because when we believe upon Jesus as our personal Lord and Saviour, we are rescued from all of that and are instead given a future and a destiny of peace with God for all eternity because of the love that He has for us. When asked about the subject of world peace, Mother Teresa said, to promote world peace, go home and love your family. She said that even this small action could have a massive impact on your relationships and the promotion of peace. And I think, I think she was on to something. Love. It is God's love for us that makes peace possible. And so when we res re respect so reflect God's love by loving other people, we're sort of taking God with us and, and changing the circumstances around us to be one of love and peace. You know, in the not too distant future, this world will be made new. Our bodies will be made new. Our future and our hope will be new. And there will be peace. After the final judgment where God's wrath is poured out on evil and, and all is cast into the lake of fire, there will be God, there will be us, believers, and there will be peace. This is the destiny that God has for all who believe. That is my destiny and I hope that that is your destiny as well. John Lennon once said, I believe that as soon as people want peace in the world, they can have it. The trouble is they are not aware they can get it. You know, so many people are unaware that they can have peace, but they won't find it where Lennon was looking. True everlasting peace is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rick Warren once asked, where do you go for peace if you don't have God in your life? If you're not connected on a moment by moment basis, Jesus Christ has an incredible offer for you. He says, if you are tired and carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus is the source of our peace, of our rest. He takes our burdens. He gives us rest. He takes our burdens upon himself so that we can have peace. And we can have peace now. It's like a reflection, a glimpse into the future hope that we have in heaven. And so a question I have for you right now, though, is this. What is taking peace away from you? 
I know that for many of us, our baselines of stress and frustration are running so high that peace seems like such a far off reality. There's so much chaos in our world, so much heartache, so much loneliness and isolation. So many of our plans have been foiled. You know, two times I've booked to go to Tassie to spend time with family in the last couple of months and both have been cancelled. The first by lockdown five and the second by lockdown six and I haven't been bothered rebooking because we're in lockdown seven. You know, I know many people have had to change their plans as well, like, like Rob and Judy who last weekend went down to Druin to see family. They arrived on the Saturday morning and then the announcement was made about lockdown. They spent an hour or so with family and then had to drive home again. Chaos and frustration are stealing our peace. Those are just some examples of that. But so too is fear. You know, I'm resigned to the reality that I will catch COVID in my life. It might be Next year, it might even be this year, I don't know. But I can guarantee you I will catch COVID at some point in my life. But I'm not fearful of dying from COVID. I'm not afraid of, of death at all, really. In fact, you know, my hope is certain in the Lord. But I do know that some people are afraid because that's the only message being spoken into our world right now. Fear. I read a survey recently where 38% of respondents feared for their life if they caught COVID. 38% of people in this survey thought that they would die if they caught COVID. But the reality is that only 2% or less will die with COVID and even less again will die from COVID. You know, and not to be morbid here, but the 2018 mortality rate for over 65s in Australia was 58 in a thousand. That is that 58 out of every thousand people over, over the age of 65 will die. Those figures are higher than COVID is today in that age group. Yeah, there are many things that can kill us. And yes, for some of us, COVID does pose a greater threat than it does for me in my age demographic, uh, granted. But, but don't be so fearful of COVID that it robs you of peace. Do not live in fear unless it's fear of the Lord. Stop listening to the doomsayers. Turn off the news if it's not lifting you up, but placing you into fear and despair. Tune out the voices that are shouting at you to be afraid. God says to us, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Isaiah 41.10. God says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6. You know, Thomas Watson said, if God be our God, 
He will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. Where is our focus at when we are fearful? It can't be in the promises of God because the Bible is full of God's promises to provide for us spiritually and materially, to never forsake us, to give us peace in difficult circumstances, to cause all circumstances to work together for our good and finally to bring us safely home to glory. None of those promises are dependent upon our performance. They are all dependent on the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. So don't let fear rob you of peace. Jesus didn't die for you so that you'd be afraid. He died so you could have life to the full. So what is one thing that you can do practically to live out the peace of the gospel in your life this week? Maybe it starts with turning off the news and opening the scriptures instead, being more familiar with some of the promises that God has made to you rather than the CHO directives. Or maybe for you it might be a renewed imperative to live with an eternal perspective, knowing that God has all things under control. Like John Piper says, the humility of wisdom is the happy consciousness that all things come from God, are sustained by God and exist for God. And maybe that will spur you on to bring the gospel of peace to other people, to be a calming presence in the midst of chaos, to be a voice of reason in the middle of anarchy to bring the peace and comfort of Christ to people who are struggling to cope with everything right now. You know, the most loving thing we can do for our friends and family is help them to have an encounter with Jesus. This Jesus who through the gospel brings us peace. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for the gospel of peace that you have brought to us. Lord, I am thankful for your word and the promises of your, in your scriptures that, Lord, can give us a calm assurance and can give us peace when there is fear, can give us peace when there is so much strife and stress and chaos and frustration. Lord, I pray that you would go beyond each one of us and Lord, you would guide our paths. Lord, you would protect our thinking and that Lord, you would give us your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we know things are difficult right now, difficult for so many of us. And Lord, it is a challenge to remain hopeful. It is a challenge to live in your peace. But Lord, may you grant that to us. Lord, grant us your peace. 
Lord, may you go before us and may you help us bring your peace with us where we go. Lord, where there is chaos and confusion amongst our friends and family, Lord, would you help us be that that peaceful and calming presence. Help us be you in that moment to them. And Lord, we, we pray that you would give us a new, a renewed fervor that Lord, so many people need this peace and hope that we have, yet so many are currently on a path that is destined to experience your wrath. Lord, would you break our heart for those people so that it would motivate us to share your gospel with them, that they might come to a saving faith in you, Lord Jesus. May we care that much about them, that we would get over ourselves, that we would go beyond and step out of our comfort zones and that, Lord, you would use us to bring the gospel of peace to them to help them be reconciled with you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus who has saved us. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in once more uh, to church here. Uh, There's a few things that I do need to give an update for our members, particularly Um, we had identified September 12th as the, um, the date for our AGM. And uh, that is looking a little bit more unlikely given the fact that we at best may get back into church face-to-face on the 5th of September. We need a bit more time to prepare for our AGM. So what I'd love to do is any ministry leaders, if you're overseeing any ministries, if you could send through um, your reports so that we can pile them into um, the members book um, for the AGM. And if there's any nominations as well for the office of deacon in the church, we'd love to receive those as well. Um, We will also be looking at trying to have uh, the AGM, I think what will work quite practically if if we get back on the 5th, 12th, 19th maybe of, of September, we will try and have the AGM two Sundays after our first Sunday back. Um, I think that gives us the time that we need to prepare and to distribute everything to you um, so that we can make informed decisions about uh, what's being presented uh, in the AGM. Uh, And if that doesn't work, if lockdowns continue too long, we won't really have a choice but to go online and, um, and do something for our AGM online like we did last year. There will probably be a voting um, survey, but I, I'd hope also we might be able to have like an interactive Zoom session. So there's questions that can be asked and, and we can do it that way. But then the official voting will take place online um, like we did last year. So there's a few practical things. Um, please as well, don't forget to continue to worship the Lord in your giving. Um, if you need those details for online giving, they are on the weekly email that comes out. If you don't get that weekly email but would like to, um, and this can be anyone, it doesn't just have to be people from our church, we're happy to, to share what's going on in the life and give encouragement and links to different things, um, then email me Aaron, A-R-O-N, at wangratabaptist.com.au and uh, we'll get those out to you as soon as we can and uh, put you on our, uh, on our mailing list. Uh, 
So thank you again for joining with us for church today. Uh, make sure that you do continue to care for each other. You know, caregiving is a permitted reason to visit other people and to, to, to care for them. Um, so if you know of someone who's struggling, don't feel, you know, be so afraid of, of, of everything that you can't, you know, still, still be compassionate towards other people. And uh, make sure you do continue to uh, honour the Lord in all things. And maybe get into His Word more. Take these opportunities of a quieter life to, uh, to come back and to seek Him first. And uh, we look forward to being gathered again as His people as soon as we possibly can. And I'll uh, just say to all blessings again. See ya.